the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Yesterday, the news came down in a pretty hardcore manner that Fry's Electronics was shutting down. Usually on the top of the hour of my show, I, I talk about what's happening on the market, what's happening in the big picture of issues. But some days it's just not that important. And some days we need to go into the, a different angle. And Fry's Electronics was one yesterday that kind of hit a lot of people in the Bay Area. I grew up on the East Coast and in Europe and in Asia, and um, I never really got to experience what Fry's Electronics was all about. To me, it was a very West Coast kind of phenomenon. It's a big box store that specialized in selling electronics for consumers, which is great because on the East Coast and outside of California, you grew up with this like Silicon Valley. Is it Silicon or Silicone? And is it – HP, did they find, did they start in a garage or was it uh, Steve Jobs that started a garage? Ah, it doesn't matter. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, right? So you kind of have this like beautiful idea of what the West Coast is. It's very romanticized on the East Coast. Yeah, there's earthquakes and there's people who start businesses in their garages, right? So when I came to the Bay Area 20 plus years ago, and one of the first things I, I was like, oh, I need a TV. And I'm like, let's go to Fry's. I'm like, wait, wait, what's Fry's? And they're like, it's a big box. It's kind of like a Best Buy, but it's it's more Californian. And it was headquartered in San Jose. And I actually know some of the founders of Fry's, the, the family. And they've actually flown a few of my good friends to Mexico on a private jet. They lived life well. So Fry's is interesting. They had four co-founders, all sons of a very wealthy man named Charles Fry. And those sons are the people that I know. Now, there was kind of a weird business model that happened where there was groceries and computer accessories. And like, wait, wait. Okay, I get groceries and pharmaceuticals. You're going to get groceries for your family. You may want to pick up uh, painkillers and you may want to pick up your prescription for your blood pressure because your children. <laughs> like, I get, I get bastardizing stores. But the concept of Fry's Electronics was the company was founded on people that were comfortable with the grocery industry. So founded in 1985, concept of big box put in with consumer electronics and what was happening in the Bay Area as far as building computers. First store was in Sunnyvale, California. Benefited from a great location where there was a lot of people who were interested in the world of computers driving right next to a big store that sold computers. So they tried to keep in stock 
specialty items that were intriguing to keep their business interesting. So when you would go into a Fry's Electronics, you'd be like, okay, I just need a, a mouse and a keep a mouse pad. <clears throat> but you'd be like, why is there this big stuffed ET doll? And the world was fascinated with ET or a big stuffed cabbage patch doll or a big uh, plush uh, green bean bag that somehow connected to the internet. And you're like, I just need a mouse and a mouse pad. <laughs> like, why is why is why am I being tempted with this? Because they came from a family of groceries. <laughs> Excuse me. It's interesting that Best Buy kind of copied what Fry's did on a national level, but I think they refined it a little bit better, or maybe Fry's defined it a little bit skewed of Best Buy. Because they started around the same time. The world of electronics had a lot more competitors in the day and age. There was companies called CompUSA, companies called Circuit City. Do you remember them? And Best Buy and Fry's kind of managed to move around them. I don't even want to get into the companies like a home appliance type of company because they're not significant in revenue. But so... Yesterday, I got an email from a friend, and he's like, oh, it happened again. The internet killed another one. <laughs> and he was sad because he liked the uniqueness of fries. I couldn't care less about fries. If I need something, I'm going to contact Amazon, maybe Newegg, maybe Best Buy if I need it in real time. To me, the theme stores were a bit of a shtick. And it didn't grow well, and it didn't translate well. The beauty about McDonald's is if you go into a McDonald's in Paris, it's pretty similar to the one in New York City, which is pretty similar to the one in Marin County. Now, I throw in Marin County in large part because when I first got to the Bay Area, I was surprised at how well that Marin forced retailers to make it look like it was a California embedded in the culture kind of thing. <clears throat> but even McDonald's looks like McDonald's in Marin. It tastes like McDonald's. So the consistency of licensing stores has helped companies like McDonald's go universal, where Fry's is like, every store is going to be different. The store in Santa Clara is going to give you know, honor to uh, people who started building computers. So you're going to see a lot of like the design inside the store, and it, it's too much. It's like <clears throat> the beauty about Starbucks is they're all pretty utilitarian stores. They try to give that free internet as kind of like, ooh, come in now. But the stores are pretty much so all the same. They can buy the same furniture for Paris as they do in the United States. Fry's is like, screw that. Let's have every store be different. And that business model doesn't work. We know about it from other businesses that failed. Starbucks versus a company like a Caribou Coffee. Caribou Coffee is like, let's make all of our stores look like ski lodges. And that's expensive. Those relic skis that are made out of wood that you wouldn't want on your feet going down a mountain, to build a store around that kind of look is expensive versus a utilitarian approach. So that's how I'm approaching the whole fries thing. Campbell location had an Egyptian theme. People wanted to take me to these stores. It's like, we're so proud of California. Look at this. Um, in Fountain Valley, it had a Roman theme. In San Jose, it had a Mayan theme. Phoenix has an Aztec theme. The problem with it is, is they have a 
<clears throat> I almost cursed. Too much inventory. And you can imagine what word I was trying to use for too much. <clears throat> no, I won't do it. They had too much inventory. Had, and that's a problem because inventory is a business lesson that we should all learn. Everything gets smaller, cheaper, faster. And the longer things that in the world of technology that get smaller, cheaper, faster, the prices get cut by a lot. Their marketing was a mess. Um, they worked at one point in time with Denzel Washington, with Bruce Willis, with Arnold Schwarzenegger for using their images without the permission of those celebrities. Like, what company does that? So Fry's was – and again, I know some of their kids. I know, I know them. So – what Fry's did wrong, and I think what's the theme of the segment, was they never got online shopping. They tried to get us there to like look at their Egyptian store, and no one cares. We just need our product, our mouse pad now. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. The death of Fry's, does it move you, or is it part of the internet roadkill of Amazon? I think it's part of the internet roadkill of Amazon. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220, KDOW. 2021, as we transition from the pandemic year of 2020, the year of the pandemic, the stock markets did well. So you and I are in the business of talking about stock markets from time to time. S&P 500 turning out to be a winner, winner, chicken dinner, up 5% for the first two months of the year. How is the S&P 500, the, what we refer to as the market, doing compared to other things out there right now? Um, is it telling us anything? Is there anything to be learned from this? Well, I mean, first of all, you know, that's a great return for two months of a year, right? We've got typically a half a year's return in the first two months of the year and a well great said. return last year. And it's really the composition of the S&P 500, right? We've, we've talked about this before where it's very tech heavy now, and that's where the revenue growth went when we all started to stay at home and work from home. And the areas that really got hurt last year, like restaurants, travel, leisure, are such a small part of the S&P 500, it didn't really make a big difference in the end. So we've got a good run-up this year. There's 11 sectors in the S&P 500, and when we look at the top performers this year so far, if we look at the energy sector, if you look at an ETF like XLE, it's up 32%, Rob. Financials this year up 13% for the first couple of uh, months of the year. Mm -hmm. On uh, a lot of diversified financials are making money on trading. Uh, thought that interest rates will go up a little bit and that banks were just relatively cheap. Um, heard a lot of calls for especially even the regional bank side. Um, real estate and material stocks, slightly higher than the S&P 500 return this year, but We've got consumer discretionary, technology, healthcare, all have returned lower than the S&P 500 so far this year, but still positive. Staples and utilities, though, Rob, down, you know, three and a half to four percent for the year so far. So we're really kind of seeing a little bit of rotation, but it's only been in the last couple of weeks into yeah. some of the what we call value areas. It's interesting to know that I keep talking about the rotation story. And yet yesterday, like both everything did well. It's like. There was no rotation yesterday, but a couple days before that, there was some rotation going on. And 
it, it makes for interesting headlines to say the least. But one of the things that you just said, staples and utilities lower three to four percent. Are those areas that we look is value going to work here or is it going to be the the plays on interest rate sensitivity that plays here or is it going to be the buy on the dips that plays here? People are going to have a lot of questions. Well, I think you see a little bit of both of that. I mean, it's definitely a, an interest rate sensitivity play. Um, I mean, I was just looking at Pepsi down about 10%, I think, or so since January. But it's you know, still a fairly high P ratio, but it's a consistent dividend uh, payer, right? So yeah. people are – it's this constant look at the bond market versus the yeah. stock market. And where a lot of people are going with their thinking, Rob, is that, okay, I can get a 10-year treasury for – you know, under 2%. And if I buy that 10-year treasury from the U.S. government, I'll just get my money back in 10 years plus a low income versus stocks that are yielding almost the same. And the idea that will these companies be worth more in 10, 15 years if you hold them for a long term? And most people are thinking that that's the case. So that's a big theme, obviously, still for 2021. And that is that uh, stocks, you know, are attractive for the long term and they pay almost as much as a 10-year treasury in many cases in terms of their dividend. That's right. That's right. So do you think the trend holds up? And I'm sorry I'm lingering on this a little bit, but energy and financials, the play has started. It's massively outperforming in the first two months of the year. Does that play out for the rest of the year? Do we turn it into a midterm investment or a long-term investment? Or do you jump on the, sh- the short-term momentum? Um, any clues on how you think? Because we have massive stimulus coming. There's so many trends that are like positive for all things stocks. Um, yeah, I, yeah. It, it's question marks, right? And they're good question marks. So like, I'm smiling when I'm asking you the question. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of disruption and supply and things like that that okay. are causing the energy stocks to go up. But there's also an idea that those that are producing are going to be able to charge more because there's going to be a lot of laws coming out that are against fracking and other areas. So I think there's still um, reason to own there. Uh, Financials, if you look at the price momentum, necessarily, it's okay, but it's really the price to book uh, of these stocks are relatively cheap and they're doing better than, than people think. So I still think that there's some play there. But yeah, you've got to say, okay, I'm going to take a pause here because XLE is up 32% in the last two months. So it's not necessarily like you dump all of your money into it right now. We, we are just, it, the, some of the bigger things though are still most managers, most money managers, if you have a, a balanced portfolio that you tend to swing one way or the other, a little underweight in stocks, a little overweight in stocks, most are still overweight in stocks. Okay. We have a massive amount of stimulus that already occurred, another round that's going to come. Yep. And so Huge. if that all sticks, it's really vaccinations versus mutations. That's what I keep saying is that, okay, we've got these vaccinations going, but how are these mutations going to play out? That's the one thing that we all don't know. Absolutely. Now, some more themes of 2021, higher rates and inflation. Inflation's never fun to talk about on radio. I've never found a good way of talking about it other than say, when we were a child, things were cheaper like Coca-Cola's. Um, how are you looking at inflation right now as far as the story and as far as portfolios go? Anything? Thoughts on building it into your portfolio or not necessarily your theme of the year? Well, no, I think a good way to hedge against inflation is to have commodities exposure. Okay. Um, you know, basic materials and things like that. But the whole idea of inflation is that things become more expensive, typically because of higher demand that's out there. And the higher demand means we're building things and you need materials to build those things. So, 
it's a, a little bit of inflation is really good. Deflation is not good over time, but a little bit of inflation in that normal range is just healthy. Goldilocks, so, and that's it's healthier for banks and everything else. Absolutely. Um, home prices going up 10%. Not like my income went up 10%, but a little inflation is good. But like you said, it's, we have to be constructive about it. Um, we got about a minute and a half in this segment, but I'm going to keep you around for another segment. Anything that you want to close this segment with as far as content goes? Uh, we're hitting a lot of themes for 2021. Yeah, and we can maybe continue a little bit on, but the sure. most money managers are constructive on small cap stocks. But let's face it, I mean, the Russell's already jumped 13.8% uh, this year, Rob, and I've wow. been talking about how attractive they were since the big correction back in March and April. And a lot more positive comments, again, um, in the last couple of weeks on emerging markets. We've got a weaker dollar and cheaper stocks over there and, and higher revenue growth. So emerging markets up almost 8% for the year, outperforming the S&P 500. But I wouldn't say yet that there's this major transition from growth to value. I wouldn't play that theme yet. It's really only been the last two weeks where tech yeah. pulled back and financials and energy jumped. So not there yet. <laughs> that happened to be one of the weeks that I took a couple days off. I love it when transitions happen when I'm on other duties. Um, you can find CFP Chad Burton right here, Tuesdays and Wednesday mornings, 6 a.m. You can find his podcast at chadburton.com. That's C-H-A-D-B-U-R-T-O-N, chadburton.com. You can stick with us for another segment. Stick around as more Chad Burton on Rob Black and your money coming up right around the corner. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So I do some stuff that is really, really odd. When I get off work, maybe I walk my dog. I do normal things, right? Because I'm not going to work. Maybe I have a little breakfast. I work from essentially 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. live on radio. And then I do a little bit of TV. But my afternoons are a little bit of a mystery to you. Um, and well, they should be. But let's talk a little bit about what my afternoon in, uh, encompassed yesterday. Because I think it will be a little insightful for you. Yesterday I spent some time listening to a conference call from CBS Viacom. Or I'm sorry, um... Is it CBS? Let me make sure I get the company correct right now because they've changed their name so much. Viacom CBS, not CBS Viacom. And you're like, whoa, just following these companies. Did they break up years ago? Did they split apart? Did they get back together? And yeah, you sometimes you need almost like a, um, what do they call it? When you walk into a game arena a program to like figure out who's on the ice tonight and what their story is or who's on the court tonight. I'm more of a hockey guy than basketball, but you see where I digress. So yesterday I spent three hours listening to a conference call on the executive's pitch on streaming from Viacom CBS. Now, again, we all know what's out there, right? It's not a mystery like uh, Netflix, we're streaming TV. Screw you, cable. We don't need you. Let's go to stream on all of our content on Netflix. And then we get into Hulu, which led to Disney Plus, which led to HBO Max, which led to what are we calling the Peacock one? What are we calling the CBS one, right? It's, it's just a little bit of overload. But I listened to a conference call for three hours yesterday as they were explaining at Viacom CBS 
what the shtick is or what the appeal is or what the sizzle of the steak is going to be with Viacom CBS. I feel like Viacom CBS is going to be the last one to the party. They're going to call it Paramount Plus. And do we really need another streaming service? And the answer is yes, we do, according to their executives. Now, I'm juggling how many subscriptions I have, and most Americans are juggling how many subscriptions we have. And we've made a little bit of an accommodation during the pandemic to say, let's add a couple more subscriptions. Um, we're okay with that. We're not going to Hawaii as much. We're not going on vacations as much. We're doing staycations. We're buying trailers. We're buying second homes. So let's spend some of our discretionary money that we typically do on Disneyland, which for the record, who could afford Disneyland? I'm almost happy it shut down for a while. And it seems like Americans are saving more money because of it. That is not cheap. If you take a, a spouse and two kids to Disneyland, that's going to be, a, I'm guessing, $1,000 a day when you include lodging and food. And that's why that stock's hitting an all-time high right now because people are going to go back when they can go back, go back and grow. But I'm not really talking about Disneyland or Disney World this segment or the reopening trade, although it's painfully obvious Wall Street's focusing on that. I want to talk about this three-hour presentation that I had to sit through yesterday. I didn't have to sit through, but it's important to get it right so I do it correctly on television and radio for you. Viacom CBS had a compelling presentation, and they're trying to show that America is a bunch of TV lovers, for lack of a better word, and that you – will have space to consume their content as well as Hulu's content, as well as Disney's plus content, as well as Netflix content. And they're not even being shy about it. They're saying the average American family could support five subscriptions. I started the concept with when do we have too much? And I've started like, let's say your kids like really like WWE and you're like, ah, oh, let's add on a WWE subscription, $5 or $10, whatever it is a month. You're like, ah, oh, let's add on uh uh, Netflix. Oh, let's add on. And suddenly it's like, whoa, my bills are starting to stack up. But the, the golden age of television appeared to be forming until the pandemic hit and they had to reshuffle and, and reprogram how they, they make TV and movies. <laughs> but you get the idea. Streaming services are going to be packed to the gills with content. Paramount Plus debuts on March 4th. It'll have 2,500 library films and franchises like Mission Impossible, Transformers, and Indiana Jones. All right there. So I know you're saying, yeah, with my Roku and I don't know what's on, when's on. And there's even a business model now for an app that shows you all of your subscription services, what you can watch. Because it's honestly too much. When you sit down at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock after dinner and you're like, what are we going to watch tonight, Sugar Bugger? And you're like, well, let's see what's on Netflix. And you go through Netflix's new stuff. And then you go through, let's go through Paramount Plus's new stuff. So it gets kind of heavy. But Viacom CBS is leaning into old favorites is what I would refer to. Um, if you like the CSIs, the Criminal Minds, the uh, the Punishers, <laughs> if you like anything that's kind of like a friend, Punishers is a bad example. Um, but they're leaning into Mission Impossible, Transformers, Indiana Jones, and leaning into Criminal Minds, Flashdance, Halo, um, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. They got all sorts of Star Trek. They've got a new Star Trek coming. 
on CBS Viacom, which I, I kind of got to learn about it yesterday, which I'm kind of excited about, but not all that excited about, called Strange New Worlds. It's me, Captain Pike, Captain Christopher Pike of the USS Enterprise before there was Captain Kirk. So it's going to be about the Captain Pike life before Captain Kirk life. So we're just getting a lot of content right now. But I think the thing that I walked away with and the thing that I want to pass on to you is Paramount Plus, which is Viacom CBS's content that they're putting out there for a subscription, um, they're counting on you having Hulu and HBO Max and Peacock and Discovery Plus and Netflix and whatever else. They think most Americans can go through five subscriptions a month easy. That seems to be a bit much to me, but I'm going to go with it for now. And let's see how the numbers play out. Am I going to put new money into Viacom CBS before their streaming hits? And, and like, I'm glad I did with Disney. For a whole two years, we knew Disney was pulling content from Netflix. We knew they're pulling all the Pixar movies. They're, they're pulling everything from Netflix. Um, your last chance to see the Star Wars movies on Netflix are over because it's all moved to Disney+. Plus. Same thing's going on with the little Viacom CBS at this point in time, where I have not put money with them. I'm considering it. Now I can't do it for two to three days legally because I talked about it on air. But the concept is of front running it before the numbers get good. We knew Disney Plus was going to have a hit. We didn't know it was going to be a massive hit. It was such a massive hit that even though we're not going to the theme parks that cost us $1,000 a day as a family, we're throwing down five to ten dollars a month for Disney Plus. So, can the average American survive? NBC Universal said its Peacock had thirty-three million signups in its first quarter. HBO Max said it's got thirty-seven point seven million. Hulu's got forty million. Disney Plus has ninety-five million subscribers. Netflix has two hundred million. CBS Viacom or Viacom CBS—I keep doing that. I'm sorry—has sixty-five to seventy-five million in estimates. When do we get saturated? It's a great question. And I'm glad that we get to talk about it on a regular basis on Rob Black and your money. It's all coming down to the wire in the content wars, or is it? It's not. We have an appetite for more content and we're putting our money where our mouth is according to the executives. How long does it last? That's the investment question. I'm Rob Black. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black sitting in for Rob Black. You're listening to Rob Black Money. I had CFP Chad Burton on for a segment today. Today was going to be his glorious return to the airwaves after a year of pandemic and a lot of changes. Chad's working on a new podcast. Um, he's a little different than me. It's like me and Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger is a better way of saying it. Charlie, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are old friends, business partners who have worked for years together, and they don't always agree. And there was a big story yesterday about Charlie Munger saying, yeah, Warren kind of got tired and bored of Wells Fargo, and he, he moved on. And he's like, that's okay. We're not cut of the same we're not the same exact person even though in history we have been very similar they both work at Berkshire Hathaway they both are responsible for some of the greatest investments of all time and they said we're slightly different 
I'm not saying I'm Paul McCartney or John Lennon, but that's kind of the vibe that Chad and I have is we're a little bit different, but we think in the same way. And I don't think we always get along or we don't always see it the same exact way. But he's got a lot of great content, including retirement guides that you can find. He's got a great podcast you can find at chadburton.com. That's the easiest way of saying it. Um, if you go to the EP website, it's a little bit more difficult to navigate and find at this point in time, but that's all going to change the coming months. He's working on a new podcast. I'm working on a new podcast. You get the idea. There's some good stuff coming. You can find him at chadburton.com. Um, it's funny cause we get along really well. He sent me some notes and some of these notes are fantastic and he's got some really good downloadables, but he wrote me a note. He's like, Rob, Talk about your mother dying. And like, I don't know how many people in the world have that relationship that you can say, hey, your mom died two weeks ago. Let's talk about it on air. But that's the rules on this show. And that's the rules on his show. Everything is fair game. My mom passed away. It was tragic that she passed away from COVID um, in a nursing home by herself, alone, fortunately in her sleep. There's a lot of positives, a lot of positives. But when a parent passes away, we all go in, we scramble. I, I'm scrambling even though I do this for a living. And you learn about the urgency of Social Security, about funeral homes, about writing checks, about stresses. Uh, my mom was receiving a pension. Now what do we do? My dad died 25 years ago, but my mom got his pension, which was it, probably the best thing my dad ever did. And again, this is how dark the show gets at times. My dad died of cancer before he was 60. That screwed me over because to die before 60 is a big negative in the world of life insurance. They don't want people dying in their 60, in their fifties, but my dad did 58 years old. So I probably shouldn't give out that information because at some point in time, you're going to hack every piece of information that I give out and turn it into my passwords. Um, but that's the fair game on the show is I have to talk about my mom. If I'm going to talk about your mom, I have to talk about my retirement. If I'm going to talk about your retirement, my retirement's looking ridiculously good whenever I want to pull it off. And I'm embarrassed by that in, in a world where I see a lot of people struggling. I'm like, Phew. so I'm going to have a lot of big questions on my estate. How much of it do I want to go to my children? How much of it am I going to want to go to charity? How much of it I want to be repositioned as society? How much does the government take from me? Fortunately, my mom, enough estate planning had been done through the years that she didn't die with a big tax liability. Although, get this, she died in 2021. So we can't settle our estate till 2022 when we pay taxes. Guess who's knocking at my door asking about money? My brothers. How much did mom have? How much is in the account? How much do I get? When do I get it? So having a good financial planner in your world to help with some of these issues is awesome. EP Wealth who you've heard more and more on the show does a lot of cool things. One of them is estate planning. One of them is financial planning, but we're going to talk about that more on the show in the coming months and in the coming years. Um, I am dedicated to getting on from EP wealth, uh, financial planners who specialize in women in investing. Why do I want women investing? Because my mom lived for 25 years after my dad died. How, do, do women have different financial plans needed than men do? Yes. I happen to marry a beautiful, healthy woman. I am not beautiful, nor am I healthy. 
Um, I stay up late. I get up early. Um, that type of lifestyle will take me down before her. So I need to plan for her to live 25 years longer than I did. Now, I'm not smoking. I'm probably not going to die of lung cancer like my dad did. But you get the idea. I'm going to bring on some great guests for you in the future, including CFP Chad Burton. If we're going to go bigger picture here, um, I think Chad and I both agree on gather gathering assets. We're hunters of our society. We want to buy a little bit of stocks, a little bit of bonds, a little bit of real estate. Now, when you buy stocks, bonds, and real estate, you also are not only gathering assets, but you're suddenly a hunter who's picking up liabilities. So when I go out and hunt for my, my cave, they're like, hey, we have a hunter. I don't need to hunt. So I become a liability. They need me um, as an asset. But if I die, who's going to put food on the table? So we can make great stories and great investment ideas and, and learnable lessons. My dad was a great hunter. He set up a pension for my mom. He, he continued to put food on her table for 25 years after he died because of that pension. Now, pensions are going away. So we have to do it ourselves, and that's where CFP Chad Burton comes in, and he does the wealth management, whereas I do the wealth accumulation. And again, trust me, he does a lot of wealth accumulation too. Annuities are always big questions for people because they don't sound too good to be true. You get lifetime income. And what do I have to do to do the, earn this? Well, in my dad's case, it was a pension that he earned through going to you know two tours of Vietnam. It was a pension that he earned through working for the United States government as a division of the United States Army for 30 plus years. Death is an interesting thing. Wealth accumulation is interesting. Wealth management is interesting. But we have to find the stories that make it less about interest rates and inflation and more about people in our real lives. Stay tuned. There's some great content coming down the road from CFB Chad Burton and myself. You can find Chad at chadburton.com. You can find me at robblackshow.com.